and welcome. My name is Jolene. And again, Emma is in pre-production for Baby Fever, so she's not with it this week. Um, but we are still two costume designers whose shared love of horror and fashion history have brought us together to deep dive the horror genre, going behind the scenes to uncover, understand, and analyze iconic horror characters and their costumes that are simply to die for. Today, I am joined by the Ever incredible Marcus Slaybine, who is one of my really close friends, and he is a writer director. Thanks for having me, Jolene. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to my living room. <laughs> it's a very nice living room. Thank you. Thank you're, you. You're welcome. So um, we brought Marcus on today because we are talking about. Well, we're in the middle of Hanukkah right now. Um, this episode will come out a couple weeks before Christmas, and we have to talk about our favorite holiday classic, which is Marcus's favorite film. I'm one of my favorite films too, um, Black Christmas by Bob Black Clark. Christmas. Yeah. So why do you love Black Christmas? I mean, Black Christmas was one of the first um, films that the instant I saw it, it terrified me. It just, uh, it wasn't the first one that terrified me, but I mean, there's something about that movie that just absolutely pulls you in and it just like, it's the shots, the, the score, the performances, almost everything about it just is like the tension in that film is just palpable, yeah. but it's mixed with such brilliant comedy that like is just a staple of Bob Clark. You know, mm -hmm. it's the same thing with Porky's or Christmas Story, and it I think it complements it so absolutely well. Yeah, what I really love about this movie is that the more I watch it, I I'm just blown away by how ahead of its time, ahead of its time it is for 1974. But also, it is still continuously creepy because you've never seen the killer. If you want to go the route that Peter isn't the killer. And you're just, you're hearing voices and every woman knows what it's like to either be alone in the house and to pick up a phone or have a phone call from an unknown number or just be harassed by a man in that way where you feel not helpless, but like you don't know where to turn. And that's what this movie does so well. And it's one of Emma and I's favorite eras for costuming, for fashion. Um, so Debbie Weldon did the costume design. Well, she's not the costume designer. So as we've learned on this podcast with older movies, um, she's the wardrobe supervisor for this, but there is no costume designer. So we can go under the assumption that she was making the choices for the film. She just, she and Bob Clark just had a very incredible marriage for this piece and it came together so well with the set design and with the lighting and the dp and i mean that's like a that's a great trifecta and that's why we brought marcus on today because he's a director um so it's we want to talk to different people in this industry about how they use costuming what they look for when they see movies and how we all interact like we said this movie came out in 1974 this was a time in american history where the vietnam war had just ended but people were still in the throes of these these movements that started to take shape. I mean, you have the civil rights movements of the 60s. You had the free flower power, like free love movement of the late 60s. You're protesting the Vietnam War. All of these marginalized voices now became in the forefront of American history. And, and we're speaking specifically for American history, like we always do in this podcast, because um, we're from the States. So that's what we know. I mean, this movie is... It's so ahead of its time. Oh, yeah. The subject matter, everything that they're talking about is just, is very ahead of its time. Well, the whole abortion conversation. Absolutely. Yeah, that, like, absolutely. and, like, the way, and the point of views that they choose to go with on it. 
that's the other big thing about it is like absolutely they are a hundred it's like like how how volatile um peter ends up getting with her about you know boring the baby and her and how strong she opinion she is about and saying no i'm just no i'm just it's not up to you it's up to me yeah and that for a slasher alone, that's like, you know, you, you don't yeah. really see people hitting dark and like heavy topics like that in a lot of these films. You see, but with this film, it just hits so many different things. Or even like some of the lines that Margot Kidder has. Mm-hmm. Like one of the ones that sticks out the most is you can't rape a townie. Which is like right at the beginning of the film. And it, it I think it also, the, the rawness of those characters, the rawness of how they talk also sets them up so perfectly. Because you get right away who everybody is. In the opening sequence of this film, you get, you know, right. the, you know, you, you figure out who everyone is, either from the line, from their, from the way they carry themselves, mm-hmm. from the way that they answer the phone, anything. Yeah. And it's so beautiful how they do that, you know? Yeah. And we have a house full of women who are part of this sorority. What is it? Phi Sigma, Phi Kappa Sigma. I'm assuming it's upstate New York. I'm I'm assuming it's either upstate New York or New England area. It's Canadian New York. Yeah, because because Barb <laughs> talks about taking the train into the city when she's going home for, yeah. for Christmas vacation. So we can assume that it's like, it, and it's snowing and it's that type of cold atmosphere. They have coats on. So that's, that's what's informing us. It's one of those older Ivy-ish league schools and so it's a sorority house full of women it's a it's a female-led film and it's not just women being targeted they these women are not victims they sure do get murdered some of them do but they are no means victims in this movie which is i think it's pretty incredible because when you see what happened with the slasher genre after this movie and after halloween in the 80s where it is a lot of gratuitous nudity. It's a lot of, um, no pun intended, but jabs at women and like where men are just kind of tossed to the side and killed, but women, you're seeing them brutally and viciously killed in this subgenre that this one, while you're getting brutal kills, you're seeing women take agency. You're seeing women stick up for themselves and fight back and fight back with cops and say, you're not listening to me. Like I am telling you that this is what's going on and this is what's wrong and you're not listening and I need you to listen. And I will say that the law enforcement in this movie is also really intelligent. They're not stupid cops. They're like we get minus not, Nash, right? Minus Nash, but he's <laughs> <laughs> he's special. I I could not believe how well he was set up again. You know, I, I literally just rewatched the film, and it's yeah. just like the, the every single scene, he's just a bumbling idiot. Felicia, it's a new exchange. It's something dirty, ain't it? Right. And like, and then it, then it's like like at the end when they're just like spoilers if you haven't seen the film. Yeah, you um, had like. You have 50 years. You're fine. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, when he's like, oh, oh, what what's his line? He's like, and if you screw this up, I'm going to kill you. And yeah. like Nash is just on the phone and you're like, he's going to screw it up. And up. he's doing good. He's doing, he's yeah. doing good. And she's like, I'm just going to go upstairs. He's like, no. He's like, Jess I need you out of the house. He's in the house. He's in the house. It's like, you idiots. You idiot, Nash. Yeah. Why? But I'm kind of glad that he did that because I... She is one of those people that would have gone back to save her friends and that could have put her in potentially more danger. So, you know, we love to hate Nash. Oh, yeah. yeah, but like, but yeah. and that's what she does. She can leave. Right. She's exactly. by the door, you exactly. know, and then instead she calls her friends. She calls to get, you know, right. to, to her friends. And when she doesn't hear from them, instead of going out yeah. and doing what Nash said, she goes and gets the poker and then she goes upstairs. Right. You know, and there's you know the big reveal with one of the most iconic shots of yeah. the film, which is that the slit in the in the door with the oh. eyes. <laughs> it still gets me it, chills. <laughs> it, 
There's so many things that give me chills. The yeah. phone calls, the phone conversations in this film are the most terrifying prank phone calls yeah. type of things. That And yeah. it's the first time I saw it, I had chills going down my spine. Yeah. And just hearing that voice and just, you know, and everything. But, but I mean, the film just opens... Right from the opening frame, it's it's just the sh- wide shot of the of the house. Mm-hmm. That's that's all it is, and you have that very like distorted, blown out, oh holy night playing that feels like it's on a record player with a or a tape player that is with a battery is dying. Right, and it just sets it up beautifully, and then it cuts to you know you see the you know, like. From downstairs, you see some of the, you know, the like... POV, a, yeah. Yeah, POV, but then it cuts to the to who Billy's right. um, POV. And that is one... I thing I love about that one, I sometimes, as I know this is sacrilegious, I prefer that POV over the opening of um, Halloween's POV. Don't get me wrong, Halloween's POV yeah. is masterpiece. It right, is, right. But the rawness of this, where he's walking up the trellis and he's right. climbing it, right? Um, or later in the film, which I think is one of the scariest moments, is when he's in the attic and he has his temper tantrum, oh, and you just yeah. see him smashing things, and it's just he's screaming, and you're just kind of ga- getting who this character is based off of this right. jagged POV. It's terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. And but they create with the set and with the costumes and the lighting, this feeling of warmth because it's Christmas time. The girls are in layers. The men are in layers. Um, I mean, like, we're definitely going to break down these looks because these looks are incredible. I am actually wearing one of the looks right now, thanks to (laughs) Poltergeist and Paramours, uh, who created this incredible Jess sweater with the hands on it. You, if you, if they're still available, you need to get one because they're, they are amazing. And I, and I think, this right here in my hands is what makes costume design effective. If effective costume designs are pieces like this that fans and and lovers of these films want to wear and they're subtle and they look like real garments. And this is what I appreciate about what I do with my job that like people can create stuff like this or you can find replicas of things like this and and create these characters in these subtle ways without quote unquote cosplaying if you're not a cosplayer like myself. So thank you, Poltergeist and Paramours, for this beautiful sweater. Uh, I love it. But yeah, and I mean, these, I, I, let's just talk about the coats for a second because I, this is, <laughs> I, I love the coats in this film, but it being a 74 film, I know that they're using real animals, which breaks oh, my heart. <laughs> Art Hindle is definitely wearing. He oh. is wearing a dead bear. That <laughs> that jacket that he comes out with. Such a fabulous coat. Oh, it's amazing. But yeah. it's like three times his size. It is. It is. It, it's amazing. But, but, it, but it works because he's a hockey player. Oh, so yeah. he's a big guy. So it's like, oh, okay. He's like this muscular, but he has this incredible like swooped haircut. He's yeah. so dreamy. And and he's the goalie. Yeah. So here we go. Our first goalie in a, in a horror film before Jason. Yeah. <laughs> Top that, Jason. <laughs> yeah, get a fur coat like this, Jason, and then you'll be so fabulous. Well, it also represents who he is yeah. because he's yeah. basically, you know, he's he's the brawn. You know what I mean? Right. Like, like, like right. if you know, in later films, you always have the big strong guy that to show how strong right. the killer is. You know, whether he wins or loses. That's the character you always have, yeah. and that's who he is. But you know he's a softie because he's dating Claire. Yeah. And Claire is such an innocent girl out of this whole, like, gaggle of sorority girls. Like, yeah. she's definitely the freshman. She's so sweet. She's unfortunately our first victim who gets suffocated by a plastic bag. Yep. Um, but he doesn't touch the cat, so that's good. That's true. That's kitty, good. The kitty does survive. The kitty does survive. Yeah, his coat is... 
gosh, fabulous. But everybody's got these beautiful Sherpa lines. Yeah coats this and whole film let's also not not forget the hairdo either oh my gosh yeah. yeah i mean the hair is fabulous the hair of the <laughs> 70s is insane because everybody was getting perms at the time yep. and for a lot of people white people specifically perms don't always work and they don't always look good and they just look like frizzy messes but that's a lot of what's happening in this movie yeah. which i adore and i love um we have that opening pov shot we never know who this killer is we never see his face is his name Billy? We don't really know. He he references Billy. And then you brought to my attention just a few moments ago, actually, that there is like a sequel fan film. Yeah, yeah. Th- there's like a fan film I just ordered from um, Gutter Garbs is doing um, a, uh, a black Christmas t-shirt um, uh, sale right now. And I just picked up one of them because of obviously it's one of my favorite films but like and in the comments it kept saying uh someone kept posting it's probably the filmmaker oh, okay um saying you know well if you like this check out uh yeah. the you know the fan film sequel there's yeah. a, um it's me billy and we just watched the trailer and it looks really good and that's my one of my biggest things yeah. is like i've always wanted to see a sequel to this you know or something instead of just the remakes or the reboots right. or just taking the name of it you know, this story on its own is so effective because it's it goes back to the core of an urban legend. Yes. You know, the killer is inside the house. You know, the babysitters, yeah. you know, the calls are coming from inside the house, which right. is, you know, uh, when a stranger calls, mm-hmm. which, you know, arguably the first 20 minutes of that film are the most terrifying piece of that movie. Right. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's historical. But like, you know, back then, like this whole movie, you never feel safe. No. You know. Because it um, feels so real. Yeah. Too, because this isn't just a boogeyman. This isn't, you know, an extraterrestrial force. This is a real person from this town who is hunting these women. And unfortunately, in the 70s, which was like a really big era for serial killers, this was happening to women quite often. Women were being targeted if they were brunette and they were making out with their boyfriends, like the Son of Sam killers. Or, you know, like different victims were being targeted and women, while they were gaining rights were increasingly becoming less safe going out in public. I mean, people talk about New York in the 70s all the time if it being this, like, desolate wasteland of, like, grit and drugs and murder and all this stuff because these things were happening. So, I and I think that's why this is so effective because it's so real. Oh, totally. And, like, the thing I love, also love about it, because, you know, even the more the film gets restored and the more, you know, the more pristine that they make it look, the more it just shows how gritty and down down and dirty they shot this because mm. it's very it's nothing in this movie is crisp it's always mm. like a little foggy but that's also like bob clark's films like you know porky's is the same right. like christmas story it feels like it's straight up from where you know from the 70s it feels so perfect and i think that grime that grittiness that claustrophobia you know, the shots go from like wide to mediums to, you know, every time that phone calls, it's extreme close-ups and it's so claustrophobic. Right. And the layout of that sorority house is so like tiny. It's like there's one door, you know, I mean, she, oh, yeah, I mean sorry, sorry, when when the derpy. Uh, um, oh, the watch party. Yeah, the watch party shows up. <laughs> the kitchen you know, door. Uh, like, I, like I texted you earlier, like to me, it's too funny. The fact that like. The one guy standing there, and they're like, and he's holding the shotgun. Yeah. If you look at it, it's right. aimed right at, you know. Um, Olivia has his face. Yeah. Exactly. The whole time. And they're like, oh, well, you know, there might be another person coming over here. Right. So, you know, you know it's, it's like, dude, yeah. why are they giving you a shotgun? Yeah. Like, you know, the 70s. Oh, yeah, I know. You know. Let's just have, like, 
you know, um, uh, Abbott and Costello run around with, with guns right. in the middle of the night shooting at everything. But from like a, a female perspective, men do that, not hold a shotgun to your face. But like if, if you answer the door and you're kind of, they don't get the hint that you're shooing them away. Yeah. And that moment is so effective because those women, her and Andrea Martin's character are trying to close the door and they can't close the door. And that's all they want is to close the door. And these men are not taking the hint. And yeah. like, so there's the comedy like drenched in this realism through this, that like, it's, it's real y'all. <laughs> yeah. But that's also, that is throughout the whole film. And the thing I love about it is that there's not a single, aside from Nash, everyone is intelligent. Like, yes. It's like what you said earlier. Every character yeah. is smart. You know, even Margot Kidder's character, who's trash throughout right. the whole movie. She's very sharp. She's very sharp. Mm -hmm. She's, you know, like they said, you know, you know, the fastest tongue in the West. Right. You know, but like she takes no shit, you know, I mean, granted, she also gets little kids drunk. <laughs> drunk. <laughs> little bastard schnockered. <laughs> I also love the old balding Afro guy with the mustache. Yeah, I don't know who. who, who he, he, I think he's um. He's Phyllis's boyfriend. Yeah, yeah. but like, like okay, I don't. Think, I've never heard his name. Yeah, no, I don't. But think he, he has again a name. has another great coat. He's got that that um suede sherpa line coat. Yeah, he's got the great Afro. He's got the great like balding Afro. Vest, balding Afro. He's got the sweater vest, and then he comes back and plays Santa at the kids' party. Yeah, and is. Like actively cursing in front of the kids <laughs> as Santa. I die every single time. Oh, ho, oh, oh, ho, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't Santa naughty? Uh, he's so good. But also, if, if, if we're going to talk about that, then then, when, then you got to talk about Kier Dulia. And mm. one of my favorite shots from the film is when him and um, Jess are having, this, are having this argument and he turns around in front of that Christmas tree. That is like made out of cobwebs. Yeah. And you can tell that they didn't have like, either they didn't have lighting or they didn't do, or they're shooting it fast because the backgrounds are so black. Mm. Like a lot of it's hard to see, but when he turns around in that green turtleneck sweater, yeah. that's like skin tight. Yeah. He looks like a skull, like his face is yes. shadowed like a skull. It is one of the most beautiful shots of that movie. It's so well done. Yeah. And it's, and his outfit is just great. He yeah. looks like a serial killer. Oh, he does. The and, whole he's, film. and he's so skeevy the whole film too. I mean, he's got, he's in that similar color palette and that similar coat as the rest of the characters. But he, I get, because of his character projection, he comes across it in such a skeevy way. And so, I mean, that I, I think it's a lesson in color theory and, and texture theory where you can have two separate characters wearing almost the same thing but it's how yeah. the warmth is being displayed on the person but you're not seeing any warmth from him but you're seeing these war the warmth from the other characters in that way and just the fact that like everything he's always in turtlenecks that are coming up to his neck he's always in something that's covering most of his body his only his face and his hands because he's a pianist yeah. are exposed and that in itself is creepy because it's what are you hiding what are you trying to not open up to Jezebel because Jess is always seen in a sweater vest or a button down and she's quite casual. Her hair's always down and she's fluid and she's open. She's not even, we only see her in the coat once. She's actually carrying the coat a lot of the times. So sure. like her as a character, she's not hiding as much behind those layers. So what is he hiding? No, totally. Yeah. And like the other thing that I love about it is like, 
Yeah, I, th- I think the only time he's really he has a coat or he has something on is when he's destroying the piano. If I'm remembering yes. correctly, he's wearing the black and white. Yes. Um, the plaid, the black and white um plaid, and um, it also the color tone of Jess mm. in both of her main outfits is yellow and dark blue black. Right. And um, that was something that I noticed this time because she wears the you know the the sweater with the with the yellow, and then at the end of the film she's got the the jumper that's black. Right. And her shirt is yeah. yellow. Yeah. So they kept her in like those types of colors, you know, whereas like with him, he was in these like black and whites or greens mm-hmm. and he's very, he, he, it looks like they almost painted this, you know, this outfit on, you know, and then, and then, then you, you go over to the house mom who's like the most colorful, she vibrant, is. Oh my gosh. you know, but like, she's so, she's so vulgar. She's so like everything. Like she cracks me up in every scene, but like her outfits are ridiculous. Ridiculous. Yeah, they're uh, definitely of the you know the decade or so before. Yeah, they're very sixties. She's got the pillbox hat with the French lace over her eyes and the big dowdy coats, and then the girls all chip in and buy her the, the ugliest dress, that ugly um uh, the nightgown. Well, I'm not going to bed. <laughs> yeah, and she's like, I'm not going to wear this. It's like, but that's kind of what you're wearing. You're wearing these colors. Yeah. So they think of you as like a dowdy house mom because you're a house mom to this sorority and these girls are young. They don't know that you're not, you know, what you're going to wear. Yeah. But she also reminds me of um, Ball Bricker from, um, I think, I think from, from Porky's. Okay. And I... First time I saw it, I had wondered if it was the same actress, Grant, I saw it when I was young. So she's not the same actress, but like Bob Clark uses a lot of the same techniques. Like, yeah, in uh, in this film, you know, the whole fellatio scene <laughs> where you, but you have one guy laughing in the background and he's dying. Yeah, in Porky's, it's the penis scene right. in the office with the guy laughing in the background while Bulberker is very seriously trying to to sell them lining a bunch of young boys up to right. show their penises. Right. And then it happens in a Christmas story at the Chinese food restaurant. Yes. And he constantly did that, but he does it in a way that he just leaves it. He just leaves mm-hmm. the camera on the actors and it does nothing. That's what I think is so masterful about all of his films. He lets the actors actually act. He lets them do their thing. And you can see the, like, the naturalness and everyone's mm-hmm. performance there is so much improv that i think happened between the girls and the act you know and everybody like like one of the you know like right after the the derpy the <laughs> the the watch party I can't all i can think about is calling them derpy the derpy watch yeah. party yeah um once they leave you can tell that like you know because they're like they're, the girls are kind of laughing like ha 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 you do realize this is this is you know that this is the only door that's locked in the entire house like you can yeah. tell that they were they were improving and then they went back to the line right you know, which works like naturally. Yeah, absolutely. So from a director's perspective, when you watch a film like this and I mean, you're so invested in what's happening with the story and visually what's going on, where else are you taking your visual cues from to like wrap yourself in this? Are you looking at things? Cause I mean, as a director, you're, you're looking at all of this stuff constantly. So are you like, what, where does your eye go first? Does it go to the costumes? Does it go to the lights? Like where, where are you being pulled into the story through? Um, so with this film, um, it's really the story. The story is really what pulls me in, but it's also like, you know, with every watch, I find something new to look at the cinematography in it. I love, I love the shots. I love the angles. I love, you know, the color scheme of it. I mean, one of the other things is too, is that like, um, whenever the, the intense stuff starts really happening, the shots are so claustrophobic that I feel stuck in there with them. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, but that, 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 that's everything attributed to it, you know? 
I kind of get lost in this movie a lot of times because everything they nailed, they knocked out of the park. They knocked the look, they knocked the the wardrobe, the the kills, everything. It's the movie's not gory, right? It's really not. You the rarely most, see anybody. You you the only the goriest thing is the cop slit throat. That's the right. The only male that dies in the film is the only one that shows gore. Everyone else, you know, like, like um, Margot Kidder's death. Spoilers. Um, <laughs> but like that is so visceral and it's so beautiful. But right. what do you see? You see an out of focus through like a, a crystal um, unicorn, unicorn. yeah. And you see it going down and that draws me in that beautiful shot. The, mm-hmm. you know, the, the shot of his, just his eye, like the terrifying little bits and pieces that, you know, just suck me into it. And throughout my entire career, this film I always go back to, mm-hmm. you know, the the intense, you know, of like the creepiness, all that stuff. You know, I've listened to the commentaries and that draws me in because it's like, how do they do the trellis? Because back in the day, they we they didn't have GoPros. Right. They strapped a fucking heavy camera, camera yeah. to this DP who literally did that. He climbed a trellis. And it's like, <laughs> you know, it's 70s. It's, 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 right. it's low budget. Like, you right. know. Probably didn't have a harness. He's probably no, like, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that, so it's like whenever you see stuff like that, that impresses me. The camera movements in this impress the hell of me. The whole final shot of the movie, it's a one take. Right. Even though they punch in for a second on our survivor, you can clearly tell when they cut back out, it's still the same shot. Yeah. And those one shots in this movie drive me up a wall in the best of ways. They're just so beautiful and they're so intense and the music and everything and you got olivia hussey and her amazing amazing screams oh she's incredible i mean i remember watching her when i was growing up in romeo and juliet yeah and she like gosh she's so beautiful and she still looks amazing yeah (laughs) she's like near 70 i know she still looks amazing oh yeah she was great in uh cycle for the return oh no yeah the return Cycle four, the beginning. The begin. Oh gosh, I haven't seen that one. It's you know what for part four that was direct to video was straight to HBO. Okay, I love it. Okay, I love the entire cycle series, which is one through four. There's no other films. (laughs) Okay, so you don't count the Vince Vaughn. What? There's a Vince Vaughn remake. Wait, what is that? A shot for shot remake with Vince Vaughn. Oh my god! Uh, You're. Uh, the, I, I think that was from a fever dream. <laughs> I agree. Um, and this see, this is why I love talking to Marcus about this stuff is that he gets, I don't know if you could tell, but he gets really passionate about this stuff. <laughs> so he's a lot, he's a lot of fun to talk. The first time Marcus and I ever talked, it was like 20 minutes of an interview and then like two hours of us just geeking out about movies. Especially, well, it's also because, which I'm going to point out right oh, now, right, yeah. your uh, infamous Ashy Slashy doll. Yes, I have an Ashy Slashy that George had bought me for our anniversary. <laughs> That's like the best anniversary gift anyone could ever get anybody, you know? <laughs> he did good. He did good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was right in the background of the sh- of, of, of your Zoom call and it was a litter boom right then. I'm like, is that, is that an Ashy Slashy? <laughs> I was like, all right. All right. Yeah. I knew that we could geek out about this movie a oh, ton. Yeah. And I feel so bad because this is one of Emma's favorite movies too. And I know that, that we're not done talking about this movie. So sorry, guys. <laughs> um, and I know that we'll just keep talking about it because there's, like you said, there's always something to discover every time you watch this. And I'm always taken by this, this time around specifically. I mean, I always watch films with like a costuming lens. That's just what I do. But specifically this watch around for this podcast, I was watching the richness of the plaids. Hmm. There's so much lovely plaid and plaid was very prevalent in the seventies, but there was so much lovely 
plaid in this movie that it just, oh, it makes me so happy. Yeah. It really does. I mean, Claire, Claire's wearing that beautiful plaid skirt in the beginning. Isn't John Saxon, the first time we see John Saxon. He is in that plaid coat, and then we see him in his uniform. What's funny about John Saxon um, is that he wasn't originally cast. Okay. They cast somebody else who they were like fans of, and I'm probably going to butcher the story, but they cast this guy, they brought him in, mm-hmm. but he had, but he was like, he could not, they, they had him, they met him up for dinner the night before, mm-hmm. they're shooting in like two days, and they take this guy to dinner, and this guy is like, he can't remember his lines, he's got like wet brain, oh, like wow. it's like, he's bad, and he's like begging them, please, please don't recast me, I can do this, and they were like, we just don't have the time, so they had to send him back, they called up John Sachs, and someone knew him, John Saxon got on a plane, read the script on the plane, wow. I guess, landed in Canada and got right off the plane, went straight to set and did the um, the scene outside mm-hmm. when well, during the search party when he's like on the megaphone, oh, got yeah. straight off the plane, went right into shooting that. Wow. And that's how amazing John Saxon is. He and, is. And John Saxon in this movie... You know, because he plays a lot of cops. Right. And this is 10 years prior to, like, literally 10 years prior to Nightmare on Elm Street, where he's playing Nancy Thompson's father, who is another detective. Yeah. But this also, a lot of people, when when Scream first came out, there was a big group of people that were like, oh, this is a ripoff of Black Christmas. And the connection everyone kept using was like, how did Wes Craven not know? Because he's using John Saxon who's in this. And there are a lot of elements. Yeah. From Black Christmas that are in Scream. Right. Phone calls, the boyfriend being, you know, right. possibly is he, the killer. Is he not? Yeah. yeah, that whole thing. Even the cheap scare of, you know, of her on the phone and Peter comes down and throws his coat on the thing. Mm. That's straight up Billy Loomis coming out, you right. know, and being like, Cindy, are you all right? A lot of similarities. And I kept being like, oh, no, no, no. I can't really like scream now because of all this. And then they, in Scream, when Randy is holding up the videotapes, he mentions Black Christmas. Yes. Um, he mentions that one, and he mentions Evil Dead. And as the ongoing joke with Sam, with Sam Raimi, and um, Wes Craven was that they kept on like being like, "Oh yeah, what well, if you thought Evil Dead was scary? This is way scarier." So Randy goes, "How about Evil Dead?" Nah, right? And he like tosses it to the right. side. No, I, I mean people. I mean, if you're a horror fan and you know the history of the genre in any means, a lot of people will say that, and I. I think it is. I think that this, I mean, because this is the same year the Texas Chainsaw Massacre came out as well. So, great year. Yeah. So, I think that this year, this and Texas Chainsaw are like the start of what we think of as the slasher. And then John Carpenter just took that to another level in 78, four years later, really just blew it open. Like, I think the world was ready for it in 78, so that when we get into the 80s, it's full out slasher mania. And then, I, I don't know, let me look this up, but. Last House on the Left, which is Wes Craven's first yeah. film with Sean Cunningham, was that the same? Was that seventy four? Because that was that may have been seventy four. Um, there was a lot of stuff that came out in seventy four. Seventy two. So this was two years prior. So so Last House came out, then this came out two years later with Texas yeah. Chainsaw. Well, see, the seventies was like it was the birth of a lot of I love it. of of amazing films. It was honestly, it was a it was a world of discovery because they were yes. breaking all the rules. Yeah, well, because the Hays Code ended in sixty eight. Yeah, so you have Rosemary's Baby as like one of the first post Hays Code films where you could show nudity, you could show yeah. devil may care stuff, and people who aren't quote unquote um, godly 
like succeeding or winning at the like the good guy didn't have to win at the end of the film anymore yeah so you were able to like it just blew the lid off of what horror people could do because now you can have something like this where there is no nudity there's no blood like you said really you know and you're not really seeing the kills happen as as in the vein of texas chainsaw massacre where you think you see more violence than you're actually getting on screen but yet it is so gritty and so real and scary i mean and this was a time going back to a history lesson now where you had we got out of the 60s where news of the vietnam war was being projected into our homes and that was the first time that people got broadcasting of that nature so you were now seeing violence in the home of the suburban family and this is a direct reaction of all of that which is why i love 70s horror because it is it's it's weird it's gritty it's like you feel like even if you touch the film it's kind of dirty and like even when they clean it up yeah it still looks I've seen Texas Chancel Massacre in the theater, obviously not when it came out, but I mean, I've seen it on 35 millimeter prints that are just destroyed. And then I've seen, I, they did a 4k restoration and screened it in 4k mm-hmm. and there's even cleaned up. That film is still grimy yeah. and dirty and covered in pops and snares. And that's how you want to watch it. Right. There are certain films that I don't want to see every little detail, right? Keep it gritty. Black Christmas is one of those. Yeah. Texas Chancel Massacre is, you know, that's another one. And it's like, you really look at these films and they just changed everything. They, you know, you go from like a film like Psycho. Psycho was the first film to show a toilet. Right. You know? Yeah. Because they didn't show that. No. Or, you know, and at the time we were pushing everything with television, with all that stuff. I mean, you know, you look at All in the Family. Right. That show broke every, it was the first TV show to talk about menopause, mm-hmm. to talk about rape, and to talk about, um, uh, to have a toilet flushing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that was on national TV. And yeah. it was like, but like when it came to horror, horror was like so experimental and it was just every, it was like the doors open and we we're like, oh, we can do whatever the hell we want. We got some amazing yeah. horror films. And then in the eighties, to me, you look at the eighties and you, and we were spoiled. We, oh, got, we do not deserve what we got in the eighties. You look at everything, <laughs> yeah. you know, and it's just like. And, it, and they all kind of go back to this. Yeah. You know, they go back to these films. To, Absolutely. You know, you look at like even Dario Argento's work or like Mario Bava and you see that there was this such a like, they want to go out there. They want to push the limits with these slashers, with these right. types of films. And very few of them were really able to do it. You know, it's like today... If they were to remake Shot for Shot Black Christmas, there's no way they would keep half that dialogue. So have you seen the two remakes? Yeah. Okay. I haven't seen any of the remakes. How do the two remakes differ from, obviously they differ a lot from the original, but how are they, they're not shot for shot. They are different stories. So. Or it's still about a sorority and it's still. So the first remake that came out, which I believe was in. 2006. Yes. 2006. That one plays almost like a sequel slash remake. Mm-hmm. and it's not horrible okay it's not great so basically right. the studio came in they did a test screening of it and the audience the audience flipped that they were like the women all look too the same because i think everyone was brunette um and, <laughs> everyone was brunette and white <laughs> oh yeah and they were like it's not gory enough so right. they went back they reshot it they there's an infamous cookie a flesh eating scene where he cuts out um cookie uh he takes a cookie cutter carves it out of someone's back and 
and puts the cook makes that's cookies amazing. out. That's amazing. That sounds very Krampus too. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like the problem with the remake is the fact that it's showing Billy escape. You're seeing him escape from the mental okay. asylum. That's okay. why it feels like a so it's sequel. Like a, oh, okay. I yeah. see what you mean. I but see what the you mean. problem is, is that people are being murdered at the sorority. It's, you know, it follows the same concept of, right. of the women that are at the sorority. Barbara, I believe, is in it. Okay. Um, oh, the original actress who played Yes. Okay. Yes. She's in it. And then, um, and, but like the problem is, is that you're like, how is Billy killing people when you're cutting back to him escaping this asylum? And yet you're mm. showing me this girl gets killed and this girl gets killed. Okay. You know, I mean, I don't want to twist and yeah, 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 yeah. spoil so everything. So the mystery isn't there. Like, it was set up with this one. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a twist that's kind of stupid. But, like, all in all, it's not a horrible film. It's not a great film. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a very hard-to-find film now. Right, it's, that's what I've seen on Twitter, it's yeah. It's very, the Blu-ray goes for, like, over 100 bucks. Um, that's insane. Yeah, and I think the DVD is, too. I, I cannot get a copy of okay. the Blu-ray. Then Bloomhouse did right, recently. Right, the 2019. Yeah. yeah. And this Written one, by April Wolf. Yes. And um, the problem with this one was that they just rushed it. Okay. So it's it's about a sorority, but that's, and there's a, I wouldn't even say, I don't think there's even phone calls. It's literally Black Christmas in name. And it's, there okay. is no Billy. There is no, right. none of that stuff happens. And it's like a cult and it just oh interesting it's very it gets all supernatural a little bit by the end or whatever it's a very weird they could have called this you know um you know cults you know cult christmas or something like that or whatever yeah. and it's a horrible name you should not call anything cult christmas please <laughs> that's somebody's um, gonna write a cult christmas song. <laughs> yeah cult christmas seven <laughs> no it just it doesn't it, this film was that film was never finished to a point where it okay. was like you can clearly tell that the director wanted to do either more rewrites more, yeah. and go through it and you know fine tune it. Carrie Ellis is in it, and okay. from what I heard, he showed up to set and didn't even know like they they just hired him and they hadn't even written oh, his character, okay. and it kind of shows because he kind of plays it in three separate ways. Mm. You can tell he's like this guy in this scene and this guy in that scene, and yeah. in this one he's like ooh yeah. Um, you know, that's my Carrie Ellis impression, by <laughs> the way, great. for everybody. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just, I, I, the problem is, is that they miss the point. The problem with Black Christmas now is that you can't make Black Christmas now. No, I don't think you can because there's, well, I mean, you have the element of cell phones. Yeah. You have the element of like tracking people. But then, yeah, I mean, like what the suspense is built of just the the AT&T guy running through the phone company warehouse trying to figure out yeah. where the where the call is coming from while like, she's trying to keep him on the right, phone. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that's a lot of that build up that you obviously lose because nobody has a landline anymore or very yeah. few people have landlines and you know and we have ways to trace things now. Right, it's like you can't right. like like they play with text messages in the other one okay. and it's like that's not the scary part. The scary right. part is the fact that, like, we know as the audience, right? Billy's in the house, right? He's in the attic. He's upstairs, and he's calling right. you after he murdered somebody, right? And he's making these weird sounds and noises and grunts and groans and all this stuff. And it's obvious that there was a mental, right? There's something beyond wrong with him. Uh, we have no idea what, and that's so disturbing because. You shouldn't know everything about the killer. You know, you look at the original Halloween. What do you know about Michael Myers? He's an escape mental patient. 
killing babysitters. Yeah. Why? We don't know. We don't know, exactly. We have yeah. no idea. Granted, they ruined that, but it's the... It's the <laughs> I mean, they came back to that in the 2018 one. Oh, yeah, I mean... And then Evil Dies Tonight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh my God, Evil Dies Tonight. Does it? Does it really? Yeah. Okay. Okay, well, we're going to say that 1,400 times. Um, but like, But like with him, it's just like a real killer because you don't know why this guy's coming no, out No, you don't. And that's what's terrifying. And yeah. And the fact that he could be anybody yeah so i just finished um the book um by kelly florence and megan Hag had felt i'm so sorry if i'm mispronouncing your last name but and it was called the science of serial killers and they have this great series where they do like the science of dot 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 for a bunch of different things in horror and they were saying in this book so they basically they t- they're talking about different serial killers from different moments in history and how how they've influenced you know different serial killers that we see on screen in either this type of format or like a direct like Jeffrey Dahmer film format. Um, And they were saying that the amount of serial killers was at its peak in the 70s and the 80s or late 60s through like mid 80s. And that there really aren't serial killers anymore because in like we were just saying, it's really hard to get away with this stuff now because we have DNA technology, we have phone tracking, we have all of these things that while yes, there are still killers out there and they're, you know, doing atrocities on innocent people, you can't have a son of Sam anymore. You yeah. can't have like an Ed Gein anymore because there just isn't the space for it because they're going to get caught that much quicker because like, you know, they, they didn't look for like semen and fingerprints in the seventies yeah, and they would just like leave their stuff everywhere. And nowadays you, you know, a hair falls off your sweater and they know where you are. Exactly. And that's like, and, and you know, you also got to look at this like that. Now we have cameras on, on our, you know, right. everywhere. People there's, have those doorbells. and Exactly. The yeah. door, between the doorbells, the traffic, um, there's cameras on traffic. Back in the day, you could get away with so much more. Yeah. And that just sounded really bad. But I mean, like, you know. We know what Marcus was doing in the 80s. Yes. Yeah. Yes. When I was uh, born, um, two years in, you know, I went on a baby massacre. Um, you know, I was the baby bandit. And, uh, but yeah, um, it's like, it's like, it's very hard to have like these serial killer movies now because it's not the same, you know, you can't, it's, you can't, you know, how does Hannibal Lecter work in today's day? How does Black Christmas work when I can, you know, even in the nineties, when you can hit star 69 and call somebody right back, boom, that movie's over. Yeah. And I think how the Black Christmas specifically, how it could work again is because these are still things that women are facing. Women are still facing, you know, a ton of shit from men that is unasked for, unwanted, all of this stuff. And that is like at the core of what's happening in Black Christmas, right? All these advances and stuff. So you take that and then you can kind of form your own thing with it. I think that's yeah. how it could work. And then you put these awesome sweaters and these awesome colors and like a little little dream like filter on the Christmas lights. And it's like a beautiful... <laughs> It's a beautiful little dream. Oh my god, I love that filter. I love. I love it too. That Christmas tree is the best Christmas tree I've ever seen in my life. Like it is, and he makes it beautiful in a Christmas story and frightening in this movie. And it's mm. the same lighting. Is and it? It's great. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See that? That's why I love Bob Clark. Bob Clark, to me, he's one of the most underrated directors because he went from a like a disturbing horror film mm-hmm. to one of the most gross out comedies <laughs> of its time yes it you know <laughs> um to one of the to, to a film yeah. that is literally played 24 hours a day on tbs yeah. every single year for the whole family to watch yeah and it's like to transcend um genres and to transcend 
you know, that shooting styles and everything else and having it work, you know, it's just, it's amazing. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a sign of a true artist, you know, yeah. Edgar Wright nowadays, he's, I would say, you know, he does the same thing. Yeah. Every film he does is a completely different genre and he nails it every single time. Yeah. I will talk about, I will talk. My oh, love. I know. <laughs> uh, everyone, anyone that knows me knows that like Edgar Wright is like my favorite. Like, yeah. Oh my God. I well, just, we have to commend Roy Moore, who is the screenwriter for this as well, yeah. because he wrote emotionally intelligent women who stood up for themselves in a time where women were asking for these rights and being shut down by people and being shut down by the ERA and all of these different people who were threatened by the potential that a woman didn't want to be a homemaker. And they were women were challenging these ideas. And that's I, I think that at its core of the original is also what holds it so near and dear to people's hearts, especially a lot of women, because we have final girls and final girls are amazing. And they are, I mean, you know, we go back to them and we grasp onto them because they're so strong and they fight for what's right. But these women in particular, all of them could be considered a final girl. It just so happened that Barb was drunk and she fell asleep. You know, it just so happened that Phyllis went up to see if Barb was okay. But I think, any one of them could have been our final girl. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, no, and yeah. like, and like the thing is, is that um, at the end of the day, the number one rule with any horror film is characters. You gotta have good characters. If you don't have characters, right. Then, then why the hell do I care if this person lives or dies? Exactly. And it's the biggest fatal flaw of a lot of films. And in this film, every character is is beautifully written. They're beautifully um you know shot but it's it's they're also like they all stand out on their own yeah every character you can tell by the by from their wardrobe by the way they handle themselves yeah who they are and they stand out you're never like oh this character's like this one no they're all so they are. um distinct yeah. they are and you know? i mean we were talking about that a little bit before with the coats and i know that marcus isn't a costume designer so we haven't talked a ton about the wardrobe i mean you're seeing that through like what you're saying with Peter where he's wearing these skin tight turtlenecks and these skin tight pants and it's like what is going on that this is this these are your options you know like why why is Barb in that incredible men's blue button down that still is in fashion today and a lot of women do that with that great black choker that like I've seen so many women replicate and cosplay as and emma has definitely cosplayed as and that's uh, awesome yeah and like it should like every single look is so replicatable and simple yeah and i think simple with a movie like this is the most effective because you have all of these other elements that we were speaking to and so the the clothing is there to assist you in knowing who these people are in knowing that you know the house mother is this batty old woman who keeps alcohol stored in books in books in the <laughs> toilet in there yeah, like she everywhere. had alcohol everywhere everywhere and she's just like swinging it back yeah it's like <laughs> it's like like, like like to me like she is hill it, it's she's, she's hilarious every scene she's in is just too damn funny yeah and it, but she's got alcohol everywhere i've yeah. never seen somebody with so much hidden alcohol mm-hmm. ever yeah and it's like she's the one person in this house that should not need to hide the alcohol because yeah. she's I the know. only one probably of age i know well and and no no the drinking age in the 70s was 18 oh shit okay yeah. so, so they were all of age they, yeah well. <laughs> and poor claire's father is sitting there in this nice gray suit he's the only one in gray and he's so kind of displaced because he's there to pick his daughter and then he's watching all of these. He's watching Barb give 
you know, this kid alcohol at the Christmas party while he's waiting, <laughs> waiting for Claire. And then he gets brought back to the house and he's watching Barb drunk on the couch. He's watching the house mother swig back some alcohol. Like he's watching yeah. everybody drink and he's like saying to himself, like, what has my daughter gotten into? Yeah. I did not send my daughter here to uh, hit on boys. Right. Also, I want to bring back um, keeping a nice headshotted picture of your loved one at your bedside table as, <laughs> as Claire does. Because that picture of him is gorgeous and it's like taken on a beach somewhere, but it's in a lovely little frame. Yeah. And I love that like her dad finds it and he's like, who is this guy? And it's like, well, that's who, that's her boyfriend. Yeah. This is like hunky hockey player. And then like the posters on the wall. Right. <laughs> Everything. Um, yeah, that's a great, that's a great room. I want that wallpaper. Oh my God. The I absolutely want amazing. that wallpaper. All, like even the curtains, the curtains were like. Yes. Like when she looks at, when um, uh, Jess looks outside and the carolers are out there, it's like this red and black mm-hmm. pattern. That's just, it, it's, it's just, it's like enigmatic. It, yeah. It's, it's beautiful. And it's just. It's also, it's stuff that you don't see anymore. You no, just don't see don't. that. And Unless that, you're watching David Lynch. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. No, then, then it's everywhere. <laughs> right. you, know? you know, then, then it's like, you know, they're holding coffee cups and they're 14 different colors right. with weird patterns and everything. But, right. You know, um, but no, but like, but the father is but like, he plays off of everybody, you know, as kind of like the dry humor. You know what yes. I mean? It's just like, he's just super upset you know what i mean yeah. it's um and like uh you know when um when the house mother is there and she and, she, and she's yelling for the cat and he comes <laughs> up and uh, she's like i'll be with you in a second and then she uh, you can't see but then she gives the middle finger to him like that yeah. it, it she's so well like she's such like a well-developed character even though she is a hundred percent one note. Yeah. Because I think what else would an older woman in that type of situation? I mean, I don't think my assumption is that she's probably not married. She probably doesn't have any kids. So this is her way of like, you know, I guess. Yeah. Having a job post retirement or whatever. And she got stuck with, I mean, these girls are great. I, for sorority girls, I went to school with, sororities and i wasn't in one myself but i mean as far as sorority girls go these women are very polite and these are like these are good girls (laughs) so like she didn't get a bad bunch and and the um the brother fraternity that they work with those guys also seem like really nice gentlemen except peter but he's not in the fraternity i don't think no no he's just in the conservatory he he's in the conservatory and he even makes a comment about he's how he's been there for many years yeah so how old is he well care dulia was like in his 30s during this (laughs) Um, but they just really wanted him. I think yeah. I, I forget the re- they they said the reason. That's why they have that line where he's like, you know, I'm uh, you know, I've been here for years and blah blah blah. And it's like, yeah, well, yeah, you kind of have. You're a little bit yeah. old there, but but I think that adds. I think that adds to everything with it because I think him being slightly older too. It's like, right. yeah, it makes more sense that he's being like, yes, I would like to to keep the baby. Yeah, yeah, you know, Absolutely. it's like, and he's thinking about marriage, and not that she's not thinking about these things, but I mean, just. That, but there are things I want to exactly. do. Exactly. And like that line itself, it that is worth worth its weight in gold. Yeah. Because she's, I mean, like I am so happy and I wish every woman could be that strong. I mean, I wish I could have been that strong in shitty relationships where like I've never had a situation like Jess's situation. But like just being, you know, it's really easy to get manipulated by somebody that you love when they are begging for something that they want. and. And you have it and and 
you don't really want to give that thing to them because you're, you know, it won't make you happy, but you want to see them happy because you love that person. And so the fact that she holds her ground and says to him, like, I have hopes and dreams too. And I want to see those things accomplished. And I don't want you to give up what you want to accomplish. Mm. That speaks a lot to Jess's character. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it makes her, it's something that, that a lot of films do now where it's like, oh, I'm a strong character. I'm going to show you because I can do this. And mm-hmm. it's, it's like, that's not how you show. Like, like right. you, you take a film like Alien. And Alien, they don't show Ripley. You know, they, they you know, Eleanor Ripley doesn't come into the scene and just go, I am a strong character. Right. No, she shows you she's a strong character through the choices she makes and how right. she has to start taking over everything. In this, you know, um, Jess, she's never, ever, she never, ever flat out so like, you know, like, oh, yes, I'm super strong. You know, look at right. me. She just stands her ground. And by Absolutely. standing her ground through her, the way she is, through the stories that she's telling and the dialogue that she has, she's able to show that, yeah, she will stand her ground. Yeah. She will fight back when she believes something strongly. She will not abandon her friends. Right. She will, you know, watch out for whoever is sick or whatever. She will stay behind because one of her friends is staying behind. Right. She is a good person with all that, but she's also probably a little sheltered. Yeah. You know, yeah. like she doesn't seem like she's had as much experience. You know what I mean? Like, right. obviously, you know, like, let's be real. It's Margot Kidder's character, you know? <laughs> She's the one that's been out there and Barb all the, is yeah. living it up. Yeah, she is, you know. Yeah. You know, go and you know, getting high and going to watch the turtles fuck her for, you know. But good for Barb. <laughs> you know, like good for her because in the in the seventies, you know, you didn't get a lot of that. I mean, and there's a line in Dazed and Confused where the one of the girls in the bathroom is like, So what? Men get both the Madonna and the whore when they're talking about Gilligan's Island. But like, it's true. There was only those two types for women. Up until just a few years ago, where it was like, women didn't have complexities. So yeah, if Barb wants to go watch Turtles Fuck, let her watch them. You know, like, that's what she likes to do. Let her do her thing. You know, she's not harming anybody. And she's, she's being wacky. She's being zany. But she's like, I guess, like, loose in her morals in that way. Or in the quote unquote traditional sense that you would think that. But she's like, I like sex. I like to drink. I like to do these things. And there's nothing wrong with those things. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't even have to show her with guys. No. She's never with a guy in this movie. No, and, and Emma makes the argument and she says that Barb is a bisexual character. Now I'm not queer, so I don't know and I didn't see that reading, so I can't speak to that. I've um, heard this this theory too. Yeah, so I've heard it from a few different people. So I didn't see where those pieces are in, but I mean for but Emma does speak to it a lot, so I think it yeah. I think it's kinda shown in like the scene where she's really going at it with um Yeah. Um, the turtle scene. Yeah, you know? the turtle scene. I, and she's reading a Playboy. She's not reading a Playgirl. Yeah. So that has to do with it too, so. Yeah. So, like, I mean, it does make sense with her character too. Yeah. She, she would be a, she is a very free spirit. Right, you know? right. Um, you know, I definitely, see, that's the beautiful thing about this movie. I think it's also Elvis Presley's daughter's favorite movie. It's some famous person's favorite movie. Really? That, like, makes no sense that's whatsoever. That's really funny. Um, but, like, I, but, like, this movie has so many layers to it with the characters, you know, with everybody with like, like I could spend a day at the police station. Right. You know, with, with the old guy that, you know, oh, that yeah. like shot him. Next time you're going to get the gun up, up your ass. Right. Sideways. Right. It's like, wait, what, what the hell is going on again? Canadian, New York. Yeah. Here? What the hell? Yeah. Yeah. But it also is pretty funny at the fact that I guess the only reason Olivia Hussey took the role, she's very like spiritual and she was doing tarot cards where she went to go mm-hmm. see a psychic and the psychic said, um, she should go somewhere cold. 
So the script came in. She said, I'll do it. Wow. So like, yeah, it was something like along those lines. Well, I'm super happy that she took it. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, we all are. I can't uh, imagine this movie without her. No, I can't. The The cast and it's so, they're so well casted. Yes. You know? And even you have a Andrea Martin, who is a groundling and, or uh, sorry, not groundling. She's from Second City. One of those groups. Yeah. Um, and she's a comedian. I mean, she was part of that whole. Oh, no, sorry. She is one of the um, the Canadian Second City. So not. The Groundlings are in L.A. Gosh, now I'm flubbing. Second City is in Chicago. Who's the Toronto group? That was Catherine O'Hara and Eugene Levy and all of them. She was part of that group. Yeah. She, she like, did comedy with Martin Short and Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara and, like, all these amazing, incredible people from the 70s. She's part of that group. She's in this movie. And she's fantastic. Yeah, she's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> but you would not believe, But you would not know that she was a straight-up comedian. No. Because no. she's so... Like, well, I think that's why comedians, I mean, this is a whole other tangent, but we've seen time and time again, comedians being very effective in the horror genre. I mean, I, I, I'm not a Saw fan, so I've only seen a couple of them, but I thought Spiral was really good. And that's Chris Rock. I mean, Jordan Peele, what he's doing with, you know, Get Out and Us and like producing, because it's Nia DaCosta's Candyman, he produced Candyman. I mean, like just the investment that he has in the genre, like I think it's got to be timing, timing, because horror and comedy is all timing. Well, see, that, that, like, some of the best films, um, the best horror comedies of all time, you yeah. really look at them, the ones that are perfect. I mean, you look at Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. The comedy in the timing. Yep. So yeah. yeah, George is shaking his head. That's, that's one of George's favorite yeah. films. <laughs> Shaun of the Dead is, well, it's a perfect movie. It's also a perfect script. My friend, yeah. one of my friends from back home did a bunch of Adderall and um, <laughs> apparently watched this movie. Shaun of the Dead back to back like five times. Okay. And he called me up at four in the morning and he's like, dude, I just did a bunch of Adderall. I just want you to know, I watched Shaun of the Dead four or five times. Did you know that in the first half of the film, they repeat everything they say in the second half? Have a good night. And he hung up. And I was like, and I watched the film. I'm like, holy shit. Almost every single line that Mm. is said is repeated or acted out in the second half of the film. That's a perfect script. Yeah. But you look at like every like every see uh, Tucker and Dale versus Evil. I haven't no. That's a phenomenal movie. But once again, horror comedy, right? It, you know, connected. Return of the Living Dead, perfect com. You know, as a perfect movie. You can't yeah. you can't go wrong with that. But the comedy and the horror match, even with Black Christmas. Yeah. The comedy is there. Like like you have the fellatio scene, right? Where they're busting out laughing and they're dying, and you're just you know you can't not laugh at the scene because mm-hmm. you know it's just like. You know, it's it's captivating, it's, right? And it know. comes from like a strange place because Barbara's just trying to fuck with this police officer. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, oh no, this, no. The second one. Where, oh, where the they, second time. Yeah, okay. the second yeah. time. Where so you know where, where they like you know. Oh yeah. Yeah, and then it cuts right to Care Dulia Peter breaking the um the uh oh um the uh the bulb. Oh yeah. And saying you're a stupid selfish bitch. Yeah. You know, like, and that's when he turns around, and, it, and it's like it's jarring yeah. how. Different, you know how different it is, but it snaps you right back into mm-hmm. that, um, into that like, oh shit, we're getting back to being serious. I gotta stop laughing now. Yeah, and it's so well done. But like, that's why, like, you know, I know I'll probably get a little flack this, but John Landis, he was another one. He was perfect mm-hmm. um, at what he did. You you look at American Werewolf in London. American Werewolf in London. Oh, that's a great movie. It's a great movie. It's terrifying in certain spots, oh. but it is also one of the funniest oh it's so movies. funny yeah and that came to the director when um eddie murphy was do- in arsenio hall were doing a interview 
for um for the new coming to America. Mm-hmm. Eddie Murphy was checked out. He was like, oh, whatever. And they, Arsenio Hall was basically taking all the questions. He was like, oh, yeah, yeah. And Eddie's like, kind of like this. And the guy, the interviewer said, so, so uh, whose idea was it, you know, to play multiple roles? And Arsenio starts answering and Eddie lit up. And Eddie goes, ah, that was the great John Landis. John came up to us and told us we should do that. And he said, oh, it'd be so funny if you played the white Jew in this movie. You, sh- you got to play it. You got to do it. He's like, yeah, but it's not going to be too much. He's like, no, 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 you got to do it. You got to do it. But that's because he understood where the serious needed to be, where the comedy needed to be. Right. And the timing of it all makes for a perfect movie. You know, you got certain filmmakers. Bob Clark, 100% knew how to how to do that time. Oh, yeah. Thread that in there. You know, he knew how he knew when to make you laugh. He knew when to not make you laugh and when to let you breathe. And that yeah. is what Black Christmas really does. Also. Yeah, absolutely. It never just it's never like it's never too much of anything. Yeah, it's always it's a beautiful ride. And then the final minutes of that film are just. Oh, my gosh. Well, powerful. yeah, let's talk about those final minutes, because so Olivia Hussey has just gone through all of this. She has watched her friends die. She is hid in the basement. <laughs> From this psychopath. And then Peter comes in and busts through a window because he's like, <laughs> oh, well, I heard you and I thought that you were not okay. Oh, okay, fine. Just bust, bust the window of the sorority house that, you know, whatever. Um, I, I, like, I don't drink, but I want to play a drinking game with this movie of every time Peter is a schmuck. <laughs> or oh, makes you'd be me drunk cringe. <laughs> he's so cringy. And I just, I'm like, stop. She doesn't. So just listen to her. She doesn't want that. Anyway, so <laughs> now, okay, when he comes into the basement, do you think that she kills him or she just knocked him out because he advanced towards her? Because then we have that great shot where the police find her and Peter, like, kind of, he's sprawled across her lap. He's a little bloody. She's just in shock. And she still has the fire poker, but, like, it's it's a little unclear if she actually i don't think she would have killed him i think she would have just knocked him out in defense i think that he kept coming towards her yeah and i think she swung and hit him and then that probably caused him to go after her yeah because as you know you're getting hit you're gonna try to get it and he is an aggressive person to begin with and doesn't take no for an answer yeah so yeah yeah i i I think she killed him in self-defense because he's definitely not alive okay yeah i mean He's because they show him there. He's he's got the trickles of blood right. on her. She doesn't have any blood on him on her. No. So um, yeah, no, they never really make that clear, right? You know, which is why it's like, you know, is that killer Peter? Is it not Peter at the end? Because then we find out. So so then they put her in bed. <laughs> and one of the best moments poor, of the film. Poor. Okay, so Claire's father clearly knows that his daughter is not alive anymore. So he's fainted. And so Claire's boyfriend, I always forget his name with that fabulous coat. And Art Hindle. Oh, is yes. It, uh, um, no, um, I, I, don't, I don't know. I forget, forget his character's name. I, I think it's, isn't it Bobby? Oh, Bob, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, but I know it's it's great Canadian actor, Art Hindle. Art Hindle. Who played with him. his beautiful was, locks. Yep. Yeah, um, he's like a staple of like Canadian television, I believe. And Art, if you're listening, we yeah. love you. <laughs> yeah, so he comes in, I mean, and he escorts him and um, John Saxton. They they escort Claire's father out. And then they say, let's just, 
let's just let her rest. So they freaking turn the light off on her and leave her in this house by herself. And then we find out that the killer is still in the attic. Yeah. And he's breathing. And then you see the house mother hanging from that hook. You see Claire with a plastic bag over her mouth, which is the great poster of the film. Yeah. Of like the air sucked in through her mouth. So my questions are, how come they didn't check the whole house? There's an attic. Why didn't they check the whole house? And then you've got the the jabroni standing on the porch smoking a cigarette. Well, did you also notice? <laughs> and I think maybe um, the guy that comes in and like starts saying, talking really loud. Oh, yeah. That's Nash. Oh. I think that's Nash. I can't really tell. It's his yeah. voice. Um, but it looks like Nash. And I'm, it's like, once again, I, 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 I have to rewatch it. I'm probably wrong. And I'm probably going to get flack. But I think he even says, can you watch her? And I think it's Nash that's supposed that to be watching. Away. Yeah, okay. I think it is, but yeah. that might not be true. But yeah. also, it's a small crawl space. Yeah. But yeah, there's always that has been the million dollar question: yeah. Why the hell did nobody check the corner of the house right. where the ladder is going up to the little crawl space? And it's not like no. you know she's hidden in the attic. No, no, she's you just know. sitting in a rocking chair. She's sitting in a rocking chair by the fucking window right. that we pull out of, and she's just there so like anybody that's looking up just sees this yeah, yeah I'm, I'm doing this like you he's doing that he's doing the face like the poster yeah. <laughs> um but like i have no idea why they abandoned yeah. this poor woman mm-hmm. why the hell they gave her sedatives and left her in the house by herself i don't think they gave her sedatives i think they just like gave her an aspirin or something but she was in so much shock yeah. that she just was like fell asleep or whatever yeah something they, they, they did, needed to check the house yeah they needed to check the house and the one guy it's like especially because they knew that the call was coming from inside the house so why wouldn't you check and if they pulled barb and phyllis's bodies out then you know that there are other rooms there are multiple rooms in the sorority house you know that the the den, the den mother is missing you know claire is missing actually they don't know that that that's true they yeah. don't because she went away Right, right, right. You know. Right. Um, but then when they open the door, she's right above the door. She's hanging above the door. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. See? So maybe, maybe they tried opening it and her weight is oh, keeping maybe. the thing closed. They're like, eh, nothing. I mean, it's... Yeah. I, it, it's like, you know, um, it's like it's like the million dollar question with that film. It's yeah. like, why did they not check the attic? Why? But those are my only questions. Yeah. <laughs> but like, you know, also... Why is the boyfriend Peter? Why is he always hanging around? Yes, like, like, sh- like he's like you know Billy's running around, and that what is the most terrifying thing is when he runs past the stairs and um, he grabs Jess by her hair. Oh my god! And his screams, yeah, his blood curling screams that just sound like ravenous. Mm-hmm. That whole section. So you're telling me you didn't hear any of that? Right. You didn't hear him screaming and all of a sudden you're walking around da, 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 mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, I'm going to check the basement. Wait, what's this? Right. Hello? Yeah. Hello? And I think that's where that misdirection comes from is, is they want to throw us off yeah. and maybe imply, but yeah, I perfectly crafted yeah. as usual. Yeah. So, I mean, look, yeah. do do I honestly believe that it was Peter? No. I don't know. I don't, he was too absorbed in his in his concert, in his recital. Yeah. I think when you if you know artists and you are involved with an artist, you know that like that is their world and they're not going they they've got tunnel vision. So I don't yeah. think he was Well it also would it also to me, he had motive to go after her. Right. But he did not have any motive to kill everybody else. No. And there's no, no. reason and this character is so fucking 
batshit crazy. He's vile. Yeah. Yeah. That person's not going from being like, to, you know, to, to him. Right. You know. Having eloquent conversations. Exactly. Wait, yeah. You know? Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's, de- I don't think it's him. No. I think it's Nash. It's definitely Nash. <laughs> Nash is the one that's doing it. <laughs> it's Nash. Yeah. I don't know uh, if the uh, fan film sequel. Yeah. Um, brought Nash back. We do have to watch that because it seems like that fan film is that Olivia Hussey's character has survived and is her granddaughter now kind of recounting um, the things that her grandmother has told her. But Billy is still, or what we think his name is, this this creature, he's yeah. a creature. This this man is still alive and he's now coming after the granddaughter. Yeah. So Which... Isn't it a great concept? Interesting concept. It really, it, it is yeah. a great concept. And it's probably the film that like they could have done a million times now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that yeah. they should have done. This and I'm is surprised a, that they haven't. It's because this film did not make money. Yeah. It did. Which is so surprising. But I guess yeah. because it's, it has a cult following now. It now, well, it had a resurgence. Yeah. When I found out about it, um, was I think, I think it was Anchor Bay. They released a version, a uh, DVD of it. And then it started getting resurgence back then. And then yeah. every year, like now, you go into Best Buy. Yeah. And the Shout Factory or Scream Factory Blu-ray is there. Yeah. And it's and it's like, this is this is amazing because they know every year this is going to sell. Yeah. And it grows every year. And mm-hmm. I think people discovering this movie is, I'm jealous of. I'm jealous of anybody that gets a first time watch of this movie. Because my first time watch, I was petrified and i'll never yeah. forget i showed a friend of mine way back in the day the film and he was making fun of it at first and then that fucking phone call happened and he didn't say another damn word for the rest of the movie hmm. didn't say a single thing i mean he laughed when he was supposed to right. laugh but like yeah terrified yeah and that's the staple of a great film you know it doesn't you know just because a movie ages doesn't mean that it's not scary anymore, that Correct. it's not timely. This, I mean, look, there's a lot of stuff that we showed this to him, you know, someone yeah. that's, you know, 19, they're going to be like, what the hell is he doing running around there? And it's like, you got to, you know, you, yeah. Um, but the idea of a killer being inside the house, killing people right. that you are staying in is still terrifying. Oh, and absolutely. that is something that will continue to be scary because when you go to sleep at night, yeah. it doesn't matter where you are. Nope. There could be somebody else in there. I mean, and there was that whole, like, I don't even know if you would call them memes, but these, like, stories on the internet of people finding other rooms in their homes that they didn't even know existed. And then you find, <laughs> like, candy bar wrappers, and you're like, fuck, who is living inside my walls? That is a terrifying concept to, yeah. like, buy a house or to live in a house and not know. I mean, they did it. I think the movie that did it next that was almost as effective was in your next. When yeah. they've got these, the killers like hiding in the closets and they don't realize that there's other people in the house with them. That is creepy because. Did you ever see the movie uh, Hider in the House? Mm-mm. Starring Gary Busey. Oh, Jesus. Gary Busey of this movie. <laughs> Gary Busey escapes from a mental asylum where they release him. Oh, God. And he goes to his old house, goes into the <laughs> attic. Oh, my God. Builds a fake wall and starts living in this woman's house. She's and her husband is cheating on her. Played by uh, Michael McKean from Better Call Saul. Okay. Um, <laughs> and Gary just keeps coming down and bumping into the wife and is like, hey, uh, you know, like. like She's he, not put off by the fact that there's like a stranger in her home? Well, no, no. Because like, like he'll wait for her to go out. 
And then he goes down and he bumps into her on the streets and stuff. But it's the ironic part of this whole movie. This is before he went crazy. This is before his accident. Oh, dear Lord. So this is like Gary Busey before he became Gary Busey in a role that was only made for Gary Busey now. Right. Because I'm watching this. I'm like, this is literally Gary Busey. This This is him now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. No, this is before that. I was like, I was dying. You got to watch this movie. But it's the same thing. He's like. Builds a fake wall, and I think the dog finds him at one point, and he's like, get away from me, dog. Oh, my God. It is, and um, Crispin Glover's father oh. is in this movie. Oh, my Plays goodness. Plays the, the weird, uh, eccentric neighbor. Oh, you know? God. So having Well, a, we love a Crispin Glover. Oh, my God. I've only gotten to meet him once, and it was amazing. <laughs> I love Crispin. Yeah. I'd well, show to work with him any day. Clearly, this movie has had an impact on... An entire generation of horror fans. You see a lot of millennials now, I mean, in our generation, who have reclaimed this movie and have taken this movie. A lot of women who have reclaimed this movie and love it. And, I mean, last year, I know a bunch of people on Twitter got together and did a script read through this script. And um, Molly Henry, who is one of our guests that we had for uterus horror, she was a part of that. And, I mean, people will still continue to find this movie. And and it, it makes for effective filmmaking. It makes for effective costuming i mean fashion cycles we talk about this all the time and bell bottoms are coming back and all of these things are coming back that they that debbie weldon did in this movie and i mean just the fact that poltergeist and paramours released the sweater this year too i mean it it stands the test of time that these were effective choices and these were choices that were made that that were so important to these characters and they're so integral to these characters and fans hold on to that and love that and i i that's yeah that's why we that's why we do what we do that's why we're horror fans i mean that's why marcus and myself were filmmakers and we do what we do because we love this and we just want to keep the love going exactly you know the horror genre is the only genre with a built-in fan base and it's got a family you know it's almost the rejects you know what i mean it's like (laughs) you know that's where i escaped when i was in high school i was bullied in high school and all that and i escaped into horror yeah. And horror was the safe place. And then you, I went to my first con and it was over. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, there's all these other, you know, quote unquote, you know, the nerds, the the rejects, whatever, that yeah. all came together and all they wanted to do was talk horror. Yeah. You know, and it's a beautiful community, you know, with a lot of love and everything. And I think that horror is one of those genres, I always say, that encompasses every genre. A great horror film. Once again, we'll say Shaun yeah. of the Dead. Yeah. Shaun of the Dead is a horror film, but it's also a comedy. Mm-hmm. It's also a romantic comedy. Yeah. It's also an action movie. Yeah. It's also a musical. You know, <laughs> it's also a drama. It's got every yeah. element. A great horror film has all of that stuff. They Absolutely. all have it. And also, I think horror also allows so much creativity. There's so much great stuff out there. There is, yeah. Um, You know, um, that just, it's like... I love these boutique um, Blu-ray companies now because they just keep releasing these lost movies, yeah. you know? Um, Absolutely. And it's like you get to re-watch a movie that nobody ever knew. Like, um, what is it? Blood Rage. Oh, yeah. Blood Perfect Rage. example. Yeah. Nobody knew about this film yep. until like four years ago when our re-released it or something. Yeah, and now, and now it's now... on Shutter, and now people talk about it every Thanksgiving. Yeah, and yeah. they even had it on The Last Drive-In. That is, we did it. We had it on The Last Drive-In, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um. You know, and it's like, I, I watched that once and I was like, oh my God, this movie's fucking incredible. Yeah. You know, but now it's recirculating. It's got this resurgence, yeah. just like Black Christmas. Yeah. Nobody knew about it. Yeah. 
until now. Now everyone knows about it, and it's a film that definitely, I hope, lives. Yeah, you know, surpasses. I think uh, so. Yeah. I, it's going to be one of those. It, it, it is one of those greats. I mean, it came from an era of greats, and I think that's why, whether you like the remakes or not, or the sequels or prequels or whatever they are. there it it just shows that people want to continue with this story they want to keep telling this story and that's why we're getting these reboots and these remakes and stuff like that because that's what people want people want this they want to take it into their own hands now because they grew up with it so yeah and they want to run with it yeah and you know what they should yeah you know it's that good of a movie absolutely you know it's inspired i think almost everybody you know what i mean like people that watch it really really yeah and that's that's a beautiful film yeah well thank you marcus for coming on so where can everybody find you you, like do you have anything that you want to promote do you want where can they find you all right well thanks for having me on this this has actually been a blast and i could probably talk about another three hours oh i know christmas um where can people find me so um you can find me on Instagram, um, which is, uh, you know, Instagram.com and my name, <laughs> Marcus. <laughs> Thank um, you, Marcus. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing great with that. Um, so, yeah, so just my name, Marcus Slabine. You can find me on Facebook as well or Twitter. Um, just type in my name. Uh, it's M-A-R-C-U-S, S-L-A-B as in Boston, I-N-E. Um, that's where I'm from. Um, you can also, um, you know, I'm writing and directing the sequel to Night of the Living Dead. You know, um, and we have, um, you can check us out on uh, Instagram with Living Dead 2, or you can go to uh, www.livingdead2.com and sign up for our emailer. What else do we have? Uh, so, the, yes, we're doing that. Then um, I was a producer on a film called Stream. Yep, Stream with the Fuzz Guys, who yep. did Terrifier, who are also friends of us. Yep, the amazing who t- I thought of when you said, what you know the dp that had to strap a camera to them i was like could we get steve to climb a trellis we could easily get steve to (laughs) to climb a trellis steve if you're listening to this um we're gonna get you to climb a trellis (laughs) for night of the living dead too yep and even though it's on an island and there's gonna be no trellises but we're gonna make you climb a tree yeah we'll climb (laughs) (laughs) we need a tree zombie um but we all did a film called stream together um with as jeffrey combs daniel harris tony todd they're finishing up in Indiegogo right now. It's an amazing horror film that's a throwback, but it's uh, it's 80s horror films, and it's going to be great. Yeah. An amazing experience working on that. And then um, shortly, a uh, film that I shot during the pandemic called The Dark Offerings will be coming out. There'll be more details on that. But, um, yeah. Yeah, you're always busy. Yeah, I, I am. I mean, this is where I get a lot of my work from, and this is why. He's always busy. <laughs> yeah, but I always keep hiring because she's amazing. Oh, thank you. I love working with you, too. Aww. Yeah. Well, I'm super excited that we got to talk about this. This was I know. so much fun, and I know that we could just we'll – ha- we'll bring back Emma, and then we'll do, like, next Christmas, we'll do, like, a retouch of Black Christmas, and then we'll bring Emma in, and it'll be great. Oh, my God. I'm, ex- I'm excited. Well, thank you guys again for joining us. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at to die for podcast. That's D-Y-E. And on Twitter at Die Podcast. And the next time you go into your closet, remember that your pieces could also be to die for. Mm-hmm.